You're listening to Ocean Currents, a podcast brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary. This radio program was originally broadcast on KWMR in Point Reyes Station, California. Thanks for listening. Welcome to another edition of Ocean Currents. I'm your host, Jennifer Stock. This is a show where we talk about the blue part of our planet, the ocean. And on this show, we talk with scientists, educators, explorers, policymakers, ocean enthusiasts, adventurers, all uncovering and learning about the mysterious and vital part of our planet, the blue ocean. I bring the show to you monthly on KWMR from NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, one of four national marine sanctuaries in California, all working to protect unique and biologically diverse ecosystems. Ocean Currents is the first Monday of every month at 1 to 2. I'm thrilled to be here today. It's still Sharktober in California, and white sharks are around. We often talk about how lucky we are here in California to enjoy the many benefits of living near an incredibly productive marine ecosystem, from the microscopic phytoplankton to gelatinous wonders that wash up on our beach, a wide diversity of fish, invertebrates, algae, seabirds, and mammals. This region thrives in all dimensions. But like every ecosystem, there are predators, and our top predator, besides us humans, the white shark is present in the ecosystem this time of year. Sometimes humans venture into their ocean world, and sometimes mistakes happen, and our guest today had a very up-close-and-personal interaction with a white shark. Whenever I play the game Two Truths and a Lie, I can usually stump folks on the fact that I was bit by a shark. Indeed, I was, but it was a little horn shark, just about eight inches long, a very small and harmless shark. While my guest today could win with the same truth in his history, he survived a much more serious bite. Jonathan Catherine is a survivor of a shark attack at Stinson Beach. At this point in his life, he is defined by many other things. He's a leader, a public speaker, a father, son, brother, educator, an ocean lover, But still, he has an experience that very few have had. He was bitten by a white shark. In Jonathan's case, it was a huge influence on what his life became. And he has written books, spoken public, done outreach about the importance of sharks in the ocean ecosystem, and created the nonprofit Future Leaders for Peace to influence students in peaceful communication and on goal setting. And he is a graduate of UC Berkeley. So, Jonathan, I'd love to welcome you to KWMR. You're live on the air. Good morning, Jennifer. Thank you. You've probably told this story a million times, but can you take us back to 1998 and talk about the day that really changed your life and what happened when you were out at the beach? Well, I think this story is especially relevant for the listeners of KWMR. I grew up in uh, San Rafael, California, out in Lucas Valley, and I moved from Chicago when I was six with my family. So... We, I, I, though I grew up in, uh, in Marin County, my family didn't have a lot of past experience with the Marin County coastline, with the California coastline. And we were pretty unaware of the presence of sharks, and we definitely were unaware of the presence of sharks during this time of year, uh, August, September, October, um, just the fall in general, really, when sharks start to come closer to shore. And I was 16. I was a about to be a junior in high school. And the day before school started, I was trying to rally a group of friends to get together and go out to Stinson Beach. 
and uh, go boogie board. I hadn't really learned how to surf yet, but I, I wanted to, and I was starting to boogie board. And I was 16, so I had my driver's license. So I sort of had the freedom to get away from my parents and go explore a little bit on my own. And I, poking around, found out that most of my friends had school. Um, it was the day before my junior year started. So, so I kind of, you know, foreshadowing, got the sense that the beach was going to be pretty empty. Um, the weather wasn't great. It was a little overcast. But I, I did finally find a friend who went to St. Ignatius with me. Um, I, went, I commuted from San Rafael into to San Francisco for high school. And we decided we'd meet and we'd go out to the beach. And I had a boogie board and a wetsuit. He didn't have a wetsuit. So we stopped on our way out and tried to rent a wetsuit. And he wasn't able to rent one. He wasn't old enough and um, quite simply just wasn't able, without a credit card or something, able to rent the wetsuit. So we got to Stinson uh, in the late morning with me prepared to go, and he had his boogie board, but knew he'd be pretty cold pretty quickly. So we got in the water, and it was empty, and there weren't many people around, and it was overcast, and it was somewhat chilly, nothing like the week we've had this last week. And after being in the water for about a half an hour, Sean, my friend who was with me, told me that he was cold and that he decided that he was going to get out. And that didn't seem at all strange, given the, the temperature. So he got out of the water. And I was just kind of paddling along. The waves were small. Um, I was happy with that at the time, but they were they were quite small. And so there was a lot of time in between waves to just sit and wait. And I was looking towards the beach. We were right at the main lifeguard tower because we had planned to meet friends in the area. I was looking towards the beach and I was paddling south. So the beach was on my left. And with my right hand, I hit something. And with no warning, I just, I hit something that was very solid and it felt like a pile of sand in the water. It had this had a, had the same feeling if you were to stick your hand in about a, a foot of water and just touch the bottom. It was solid with a little bit of a funny softness to it, but rough and sandy feeling. And it confused me. For a second, I had to think, was this a seal or a sea lion, or was it really a pile of sand? But I knew it was too deep for it to be the bottom. I didn't see a fin. I didn't see any ripple or movement in the water. And I decided that it wasn't any of the things that I was thinking. It wasn't a jellyfish, and I better get out of the water. And my instincts sort of heightened. I got the sense after a few seconds of thinking about it that this was not something I wanted to encounter, and I started paddling quite hard, and the lifeguards told me later that I was yelling for help before before I'd even been hit. But within a few seconds, a 12-foot great white shark came up on my right side. So now I'm going in towards the beach, and it's coming again from my right side, from the south. It plowed into my right leg, and when I say plowed, it really hit hard. It was probably going at least 25 miles an hour is what most scientists would say. Wow, that's fast. It bit on, and it was kind of like being hit by a car, and it held on. It, it shook me, shook my entire body. Uh, it was uh, as much of a whiplash as anything, but I could feel the teeth bite into my leg. And the teeth in one bite bit from my knee all the way up to my hip and held on and swam with me underwater. 
I was comfortable enough in the water that I wasn't I wasn't worried about running out of air. I hadn't been underwater that long, just a few seconds. When I was trying to very quickly determine what to do, I knew that fighting this thing was not going to be successful. There was just no chance I could fight this big thing off of me. So I decided that I would hold on and try and just minimize the damage that it was doing. And I tried to put my arms around sort of the stomach of the shark. My right leg is in its mouth. My hip is probably about where the shark's eye is. And my body is dragging towards the tail. And I tried to get my arms around the stomach of the shark just to hold on, and I couldn't get my arms around enough to to hold on to. So I opened my eyes, and I could see these big gill slits right in front of me. And when I saw the gills, I grabbed on like handlebars, and as soon as I did that, the shark let go. I came up to the surface, grabbed my boogie board, and paddled in to shore. Wow. And from there, it was more of, you know, there was the medical rescue, which which is um, it was 23 minutes of me laying on the beach waiting for a helicopter, which really surprised me that there was that that long of a response. The paramedics and the lifeguards were amazing. I mean, everybody showed up, and they called a, uh, a helicopter immediately. Um, the response was really incredible, but it's still 23 minutes of just laying on the beach until the helicopter gets there, mm. um, putting compression on it, and making sure basically that I don't um, go unconscious. And, and I didn't until the lifeguards loaded me up onto the helicopter. 400 stitches later and a week in the hospital, I was out and um, starting the long, long, lifelong recovery. I yeah. should say four to 600 stitches. They stopped counting in the, oh my gosh. after a few hundred. This has been 15 years, and it sounds like you can recall the details like it was yesterday. And then I imagine it's not a memory that easily fades. Are there pieces of the time that you've forgotten, or is it just vivid and you could replay it in your mind every day? No, I, I think I've forgotten a lot of it. it. Like you said, after 15 years, there's definitely bits that fade. Sort of the big, broad strokes of the story will always be with me, and there are moments like hitting the shark, the moment I hit the shark, I I have a response to hitting anything in the water, even today. And I still swim and I surf and um, I'm in the water a lot. If I hit something in the water, it automatically triggers something in me. And even if it's something completely normal or even just a little stick. Uh, so there's there are things like that that will always stick with me. But the for the most part, the story has sort of faded over time. And it's um, I try hard not to change the story, but it easily could change because it's sort of more recalling the story as a story at this point than necessarily all the memories. Wow. Well, thank you. We're really lucky to have you still with us because I know you've really taken this experience and done some incredible things in terms of becoming an advocate for shark conservation as well as becoming an advocate for children and, and learning skills for adapting to our adult lives as their education goes on. How did this opportunity really transform your life, and when did you realize that? I think it was pretty obvious right away that it was changing my life forever. And I say that because I had hardly regained my my uh, consciousness after surgery when my dad came into the hospital room and said, there's a television crew outside waiting to interview you. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. I was a unknown, quiet 
16-year-old high school kid yesterday, mm-hmm. and here there's some <clears throat> interested <laughs> in interviewing me. And for a period of time, I thought that that wouldn't last. And I really tried hard to make a positive impact as, as much as I could, as quickly as I could, sharing the story and sharing my perspective on it, which I imagine we'll get into in a minute. It occurred to me pretty quickly that this was going to be a life-changing event, and it, it has. I mean, even if I don't bring it up, with most people it comes up as part of my life. Uh, I have a two-year-old, almost three-year-old now, and a little baby at home. And my two-year-old, probably about the time she turned one, maybe one and a half, and was able to talk just a little bit, she was starting to ask me what this big mark was on my leg, if I was wearing shorts or changing. Um, And so it's something something I really can't escape, even from somebody who knows nothing about sharks. She sees the bite on my leg, and she knows that it's a pretty big deal. Wow. Pretty impactful in my life anyway. Well, we're going to take a short break in a couple minutes to help KWMR with some pitching. But before we take that break, um, how and when through this recovery process, which was physical as well as I'm sure extremely emotional, when did you start really getting engaged in terms of the importance of sharks in the ocean? It sounds like coming from Chicago, the California ecosystem was rather new to you and maybe at the time didn't have quite the awareness of you as you do now. But when did you get engaged in the whole role of sharks in the ocean and the, the fact that they're actually quite threatened in the ocean and that you were quite the mistake? I, I realized pretty quickly that I was in the shark's home and that it's very unlike sort of a, somebody coming into your house. Uh, I was in the shark's home. And I was sharing its space, and I, I knew that right away. And so I always had this sense that it hadn't come after me as much as maybe I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I think there's a lot deeper explanation uh, to why it attacked, and I think it actually probably has to do most simply with just the shark exploring its environment and curious what I was. But I had a sense right away that that I was not going to be going after sharks and that I'd much rather protect them. There was a opportunity six months or so after my attack. Somebody called me out of the blue, um, and he was the chairman of a group called Wild Aid, and they do a lot of conservation work. Um, And his name is Greg Miller, and he's done a lot of amazing work and been involved with the Google Foundation since. I'm really lucky to have had the chance to get to know him. But he called me out of the blue and he said, we're trying to raise awareness around shark protection, especially around shark finning, where they cut the fin off of a live shark and throw the live shark back in the water and then use the fin for something like soup or different medicinal uses. And he said, no matter what we say to the public, they're going to say, what about that that poor guy who has been attacked by a great white shark, and is he actually going to favor protecting sharks? And he said, well, do you favor protecting sharks? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, well, then we need your help. And that sort of defined my role in terms of ocean conservation. It's It's been my total belief that the shark was not trying to eat me, or it would have, and that I'm in a unique position where I can, um, I can share something that that most other people haven't experienced, which is just the confidence that sharks are in the ocean and they're not after people. And uh, that's sort of been my role ever since. 
folks that are listening to the show today, my name is Jennifer Stock. This is Ocean Currents, and my guest on the phone is Jonathan Catrine, who is a number of things. He's an author of a few books, which we'll talk a little bit on the second half of the show. He's a survivor of a shark attack locally here in Marin County in California and has gone on to do some wonderful things, which we'll also talk a little bit more on the second half. This is Ocean Currents, and I'm your host, Jennifer Stock. And on the phone with me still is Jonathan Catrine. Jonathan, you're live on the air again. Great. Well, thank you for having me back. <laughs> thank you so much for sticking with us. And can you tell me, am I pronouncing your name right? It's Catrine. Catrine. Okay. Thank you. Great. For the correction. You know, one of the things that I think is so wonderful that you have done since this experience is you've written a couple books about the whole experience with sharks. And one of them is a, is a kid's book. Can you tell us a little bit about these two books? Yeah. The, the first book I wrote is called Don't Fear the Shark. And it's funny because I never expected that I would have my own children that I would be reading the book to. And just this last weekend, my daughter saw the book sitting around the house, and she's seen it before, and I've, I've read it to her before, but she saw it sitting around the house, and she said, Daddy, I want you to read your book to me. <laughs> and it sort of shocked me that she knew that it was the book I had written. And, you know, she's not quite three yet. And it, it just shows how much even a young kid can tune into something like this and um, how valuable stories we tell around something like this are. And she definitely could be swayed either way. If I tried to convince her that we should be going out and getting sharks, she'd believe that. And if I tell her that we need to protect sharks, she believes that too. She she often asks me why I was attacked by a shark. And my usual response is that it was an accident and that everybody does things that are accidents. And uh, I think that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. But, but the, the book, uh, Don't Fear the Shark, is basically the story of a shark that, much like a young child, uh, and it was aimed at the elementary school age group, much like a young child, the shark starts off happy. I think one of the most fun parts about the book, I've read, read the story at many schools, and I always ask the kids, what do they notice about the shark on the cover? And it usually takes a few tries. They're thinking more deeply about it, but then one of them shouts out what they thought was a little bit too obvious, which is that the shark is smiling. <laughs> and I say, well, you know, do sharks normally smile? And they say, no. And I say, well, how do we know? We can't tell if sharks are normally smiling or not. But the story goes on to explore what is generally a happy creature. And there's, again, this close metaphor to, to kids and humans that is being intruded upon and garbage is dumped in the water and there's damage to the environment and and the world is getting to be sort of a cramped uh place with people hurting each other and some of it's on purpose and some of it's on accident and finally the shark can't take it anymore and the shark turns and bites the thing that's closest to it and in this case it was me and then i examine the idea of well, now do we hate the shark because the shark has bit a person? Or do we look for the deeper meaning of maybe why that shark bit somebody? Why did that shark do something 
that we consider to be wrong? And do we continue this cycle of violence and hate by going out and hunting all the sharks? Because many people said that to me when I was attacked, let's go hunt sharks and let's kill sharks. Well, that does a whole lot of destruction to the environment and probably doesn't catch the shark you're trying to catch in the beginning. But as an alternative, I wanted to learn more about sharks and why sharks attack people and maybe what we had been doing wrong that maybe encouraged sharks or encroached on the territory of sharks and thinking about other reasons for my attack. So the book has this sort of simple meaning and a deeper meaning. And it's gone across it's gone real well with kids. They you know, the younger ones just get the basic story and they like hearing about a shark and the older ones get the deeper meaning. That's a fantastic book. I can't wait to check that out. It's a great message for children about um, how we have an impact on their home. And it's something we can change. And the second book was actually, it just came out last year, 2012, Surviving that's the our, Shark. That's our third one. The second one oh. is my mom's memoir. Uh, something about the shark attack is that it has an effect on everybody around me. It's not just me. It really had an impact on my family, on my community. Uh, when I came home from the hospital, our neighbors had put a big banner on front of the house welcoming me home and sort of celebrating my survival. And so the second one focuses more on that. And then the third one that just came out, um, the second one is called uh, Far From Shore, A Mother's Memoir of a Shark Attack. The third one, though, is Surviving the Shark, and that's the one that you're referring to. Mm-hmm. I bet you that was quite a process for your mom to write all that. I just can't imagine, as a mom myself, that must have been just an incredible journey for her. Yeah, I think it was a very healing process for her, and it started much like just a journal entry uh, where she was reflecting and noting down things, things that she knew, as you asked me earlier, do I remember all the detail? And we kind of knew it right off the bat that we weren't going to remember everything in a few years. And so it started as her journal and sort of expanded into being more of a story for uh, our friends and family just to remember what happened. And then we realized that people were interested in the story. Um, And so she published Far From Shore. Jonathan, how do you think your life would be different today if this never happened? Oh, that's hard to say. Um, so So many of the things that I've done since have really an environmental twist to them, Um, if not environmental, definitely a community twist. I really realized in the attack, separate from the shark experience, just how fragile life is, and that was what caused me to start the nonprofit Future Leaders for Peace that's now called E3 um, and operates mostly in inner-city-type schools throughout the Bay Area. And I realized how fragile life is and that we should really make the most out of it every day. And a lot of that comes back to building relationships with people and um, improving the relationships uh, as sort of a major part of our lives. Do you think that's, that uh, you would have still gotten to those, those values without having such a, an experience that really made you closely examine them? I think I would have gotten to them differently. I mean, they're values that I grew up with, mm-hmm. just the importance of family and friends. It's the same sorts of things I learned in school, but I don't think I would have gone out to help others learn those values. And I, they probably would not be as much of a central part of my life. Um, just the realization of how life is so fragile really changed the way that I 
handled relationships and and really didn't want to waste a day. And then, of course, the secondary aspect is the environmental protection. And as we talked about a little bit before the break, I really see sort of this fortunate position I've been put in, but also a position with a lot of responsibility that um, I can speak about a shark attack, and not many people can. There aren't many shark attacks every year along the California coast. There's usually not more than one or two, if that. And most of those people who are attacked survive, but many of them aren't all that interested in talking about the the story. Mm-hmm. And I sort of found this void that people weren't hearing from shark attack survivors, and the general thought was that, oh, all these people are attacked by sharks. Right. People often think that there are many, and they also think that most of them are killed, which is not the case. So I sort of found this responsibility in needing to share information that people generally just didn't have. Tell us a little bit about your nonprofit, E3, uh, Future Leaders for Peace. Well, it really started again with the idea that it's important to treat others with kindness and respect. And so I started examining that and going to schools, and I found that whether rich or poor, uh, everybody is struggling with this pressure. And it's the same pressure I write about in my book, Don't Fear the Shark, the children's book, is that we're filled with stress and we're overwhelmed and we have so many pressures on us that often we don't know what to do and we often lash out against people that we don't have any reason to be angry at or they just happen to be the ones who who cross us at the moment that we're the most um, unable to tolerate our stress any longer. And so we often in society see this anger towards others that's not really directed at that person. It's just outward outward anger. Uh, And so I've spent a lot of time working with kids primarily on um, thinking through this anger and this stress. And it's something I struggle with every day. I mean, having um, responsibilities and having a family and there's a lot of pressure. And I have to remind myself even that I need to take some time for myself. A friend and mentor of mine said that we're like a balloon that keeps getting filled and filled with stress. And if we don't put a little safety valve in that balloon and let that stress leak out slowly, it pops and it explodes and it usually does damage to somebody. And then it continues as sort of a cycle or a process. So I find myself almost requiring myself to get out and do certain activities like hike, um, run, surf. I've started doing stand-up paddling in the bay. How do kids react to that? Because it seems like kids, their stresses are different than the adult stresses. So do you have an example of uh, one of the students or a child that you've worked with that really took this work and did good with it? You usually see it in smaller ways. I think probably the biggest thing is that um, having, we've started with bringing young people, high school and college. Um, I'm on the board now when I was running the program I was bringing uh, mostly UC Berkeley students. That's where I went to school. And so I would bring UC Berkeley students to different schools uh, to work with the kids and mentor the kids. And there's this sort of this nice opportunity for kids to share the stress with somebody they don't know that's not judging them or involved in the cause of the stress. 
and really it's it's more small things than any one particular real big one mm-hmm. that you often um, find this comfort in sharing your frustration with somebody who you don't feel like is judging you because they're not uh, maybe as actively involved as in your life. I mean, it's sort of the basic idea of um, of any therapy, and definitely what played a huge role in my life after my shark attack is just talking to people about it. And And so that's more than anything the opportunity that we've provided kids and then finding an outlet, and so we do a lot of creative storytelling and digital storytelling now, um, and we've just encouraged generally kids to do those things. I mean, I give the examples in my life, but um, generally to do those things that they enjoy that are an outlet that maybe get lost or buried because they're, either they're embarrassed or they, or they don't think that they're as important as they actually are. It's wonderful that you've created an outlet for students to process these ideas and create some ways to help help work through the stresses of life. It, it's a really important skill to learn at those ages. But I wanted to just ask you one last question based on your books, based on your experiences, and based on the fact that you're still an ocean lover and user, and you have kids, and they're going to want to use the ocean and play too. And what will you tell them for water safety, and what recommendations do you have for folks that want to play in the ocean, play surfing, boogie boarding, swimming, but knowing that there are the, there are potential predators? Well, this is a daily uh, issue for us. I, I take my daughter out into the ocean as much as I can, and primarily with her, it's into the bay, and we go stand up paddling. I think we went twice this last weekend when the weather's nice, and um, and now she's not even three, and. The biggest thing with her is the water safety uh, around drowning. I'm much more concerned about her finding herself in the water unable to swim than I am about her being attacked by a shark. I mean, those things are so remotely, you know, completely drastically different. The chance of her ever having to worry about being attacked by a shark, no matter where she is, is just absolutely remotely tiny. Uh, So I talk to her really about, you know, Never go in the water without telling without telling me. Never go in the water without her life jacket on. But when we go paddling in the bay, we see small sharks. We see four-foot sharks swimming along the bottom. Most of the bay, people often don't know that it's so shallow. It's just a few feet deep. And, and uh, there are, there's a lot of marine life in the bay, and none of it bothers you. We see seals and sea lions. And I truly believe that my experience with the great white shark was was a rare uh, experience. Sharks don't want to eat people. If they wanted to eat people, go to Bolinas or Stinson or Ocean Beach or Cronkite um, any nice weekend day, and it would be the easiest snack a shark could find. I mean, we are not nearly as strong or aggressive of a swimmer as a seal or sea lion would be. So I I really think that my experience was that I hit something that was swimming next to me and it was curious what I was. And I tell her that. And I think she's, she tries to process it. She says, daddy, I don't want you to be attacked by another shark. I just have to talk to her about how um, it was an accident and it's unlikely to happen again. Right. But when you are in the water, have somebody around and don't go by yourself. Uh, If you are by yourself, make sure somebody knows where you are at least. 
I, I do know other people who have been attacked, and often what saves them is that somebody's either on the beach passing by or uh, somebody knows where they are. But most people survive shark attacks. They're really not out to get us. Jonathan, thank you so much for sharing your stories today. Is there a website people can um, tune in to what you're doing and, and see the books that you have? Oh, there's a few places. We've got the, uh, if you Google my name, um, I have a website. It's jonathancathrine.com that mentions some of my speaking and my books. The books are available on Amazon, Surviving the Shark being the most recent. Far From Shore is my mom's, and Don't Fear the Shark is the kid's book. Uh, Most of the local bookstores in Marin carry one or the other. So it's pretty easy to find. And that's K A T H R E I N. Thank you. <laughs> Catherine. Yes, and Stinson Beach. Uh, and my shark attack was in 1998. So if you have any interest, you can find quite a bit online about it. Jonathan, thanks again for tuning in with us today on Ocean Currents and for KWMR. And I really appreciate you sharing your stories and putting a positive spin on this situation for everybody. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care. Bye. every month and you can hear all the past episodes online at cordellbank.noaa.gov all the episodes are there as well as through a podcast in iTunes and I love hearing from listeners so if you have a chance want to hear share what you think about the show or have ideas for future topics please do email me jennifer.stock at noaa.gov and I'd I'd love to hear from my listeners Thanks for listening to Ocean Currents. This show is brought to you by NOAA's Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary on West Marin Community Radio KWMR. Views expressed by guests on this program may or may not be that of the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and are meant to be educational in nature. To learn more about Cordell Bank National Marine Sanctuary, go to cordellbank.noaa.gov.